0: So, hey, a heads up to all of our listeners, uh, there are some swear words in today's episode. So, if you want a beeped version of our podcast, go to behumanproject.org, look for more human, and you can find a beeped version. You are listening to more human. The show where we share the stories that encourage leaders to make their businesses and organizations more human. I'm your host, Jeremy Newlich. It's just before sunrise, and I'm blaring music in my Ford Explorer, heading east through downtown St. Louis. And because there's not another soul in sight on the road, I'm lost in my own thoughts. Most of my thoughts have to do with regret. Because I'd become the victim of my own thinking. Several weeks earlier, I had this idea to compose a day-in-the-life feature on an interesting human for a business magazine. And rather than just call the guy and do a pseudo, hey, walk me through your day approach, I took the thing literally. So I asked my subject, assuming he would say no, hey, I'm going to be at your front door the moment you get out of bed. Is that cool with you? And he said yes. He was totally game. And his start time? 5.20 a.m. And this is March. So 5.20 is cold and dark. But I wanted to make good on my agreement. And so that's what placed me in an elevator of a downtown condo at 5.30 in the morning. The elevator doors opened to a long hallway that seemed to go on into infinity. And after the doors to the elevator slam shut, there's this penetrating silence. I take a couple of steps down the hall, squinting at the doors and looking for the condo number. And that's when I first hear the coughing. It's faint, but it sounds like a deep cough. And with every step I take down the hall, the coughing, it's getting louder. I feel bad for whoever's producing it. There are brief moments when the coughing stops, but then it it picks back up again, and it's getting louder and louder. And soon, I arrive at the door for my interview subject, and of course it turns out that behind that door is also the source of the coughing. Now, my immediate thoughts are extremely self-serving. Perfect. I will either need to reschedule this thing, or I will need to be with a person who's coughing all day. I hesitate to even knock. If he sounds like this all day, then how good of a story could I really write? But I knock, gently, like I was checking the box on knocking. I had already created an excuse. Oh, sorry, I I tried your door, but there was no answer. A boxer-clad man answers the door. His body looks like it's carved out of wood. His ab muscles look like they were point and clicked into place. And with every cough, every fiber of his body tenses and changes resolution. And between the heaving coughs, he invites me inside. And we wander down this narrow hallway that is a wardrobe rack with women's clothing. It's probably here it should be mentioned, I suppose, that my interview subject is a fashion photographer. We pass into an open condominium, And the space is so completely spartan. It doesn't look like anyone really lives there. There's no TV, there's no photos on the wall, spare furniture. And to the left, his bedroom has a mattress on a minimal frame and he indicates, again, through the coughing, that he is headed into the bedroom to shower and get ready. And I could make myself at home. I sit on a stool in the kitchen area And I listen again to all the coughing. It begins to subside. It winds down. And my interview subject emerges. Blue jeans, cowboy boots, t-shirt and vest. We're about to embark on a location shoot for a shoe brand. So I don't want to pose an awkward kind of thing here, but do we need to reschedule? You sound like you might be sick, so maybe you'd prefer if I'm not hovering all day. Oh, no he says. It's no big deal. I just have cystic fibrosis. And immediately, in my mind, I go through the mental files on disease. Cystic fibrosis. Now that sounded bad. Had I seen telethons on that? Don't people die young with that thing? This guy's 45-ish or something. Why is he still alive? But before I can think too much, we're already headed to the parking garage to get in his car. Now, I consider myself to be a fairly fit sort of individual. I run marathons, but this photographer, this guy with a disease, ran circles around me all day. We were moving boxes and lighting equipment and shouting directions, and he had a weird combination of like high expectations of every person we interacted with and an unadulterated joy about everything he was doing. And we were nonstop until 11.30 p.m. that night. And it wasn't until there, in the stillness of his condo, that I realized something. In just a few hours, he's going to wake up. And he's going to be coughing again. And that is him every single day. And I wondered what that would be like. What if every day you wake up, and you're confronted with the reality that this day could be your last one? Maybe this is the day that the thing finally kills you.
1: <clears throat> I can live every day really appreciating that day. Right. And that, that's just a real thing for me. And it's not a carpe
0: diem bumper sticker. It's, it's not a carpe diem actual... bumper sticker. It's like <laughs> yeah. a real for thing. Real. yeah.
1: And so if that is the trade off, like maybe you'll have a somewhat shorter life. But, and maybe sometimes it'll be more difficult because of this, or there'll be challenges or pain involved, physical, emotional. What you will get from it is a greater, deeper appreciation. But then I also think, like, things like empathy. Just Mm. simply, like, you know, I could see a version of myself being a real cocky motherfucker.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And maybe (laughs) I learned a certain degree of empathy. And humility. And and, humility, right, right yeah, totally yeah. from that, that that helped me to put that energy into a path that was more productive and maybe a little more kinder, a little more human as the right. podcast talks <laughs> good about. Good theme, right, good but, theme. Or, or <laughs> at least to aspire to that more.
0: Today on More Human, we're bringing you the story of the man behind the voice you just heard, Attilio D'Agostino. Photographer, co-founder of Alive magazine, founder of St. Louis Fashion Week, a bunch of stuff, serial entrepreneur, all around compelling figure. Attilio represents an odd kind of human experiment. He's an example of a life lived with the full knowledge of his mortality. And not in that Sylvia Plath kind of way, but in a very real way. What would your life be like and what could be possible for you and the humans in your organization should you embrace this deep level of acceptance, and consciousness of your mortality. Now, that can seem like a dark topic, but Attilio's real human example makes certain it's not the case. And before we get into the particulars of his life, back to what makes that mortality very real for him, that cystic fibrosis thing, just to gain some appreciation for what his day-to-day has been like since his childhood, Attilio explained to us that cystic fibrosis is a disease that in large part impacts lung capacity. So even in our studio at the time of our recording, he was breathing at about 32% of the oxygen that someone his age and weight ought to be able to access. Now, what does that mean for his life? Well, he won't be joining me for any of those marathon trainings, but. He's not afraid to live right up to the limits imposed by his condition.
1: You know, there's, there's real physical limitations. Like, I can't go out for a run tonight. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I slow down in any other aspect of my life short of that.
0: I, I've experienced that firsthand, so I know that's the case. So, I, you know, yeah. it
1: means that if I'm putting together a set, and I'm setting up lights or I'm hauling in gear, I'm probably gonna be breathing pretty heavily. Right. And I'm probably gonna have to stop to cough a few times. Mm-hmm. And it may be a little hard at moments, but I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it means. Right. Is you know if I, if I work out, you know, I go to the gym, I do a set of weights, I put those weights down, I'm gonna cough. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be a little bit out of breath. And then I'm going to lift him up, do another set of weights, and I'm going to cough again, Wow! which makes for great abs.
0: Despite his present-day levity about his condition, Attilio didn't always have this attitude and outlook. As you might imagine, when he was diagnosed as a teenager and, and told he wouldn't live until he was 20, his reaction resembled that of deep nihilism, the kind that only adolescents can appreciate.
1: So at that time, I said, well, I'm not going to... If I'm not going to live 19, I'm not going to spend the rest three years, four years of my life inside the walls of this shitty-ass high school. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go take on the world. Mm -hmm. And through doing that, I went off on my own at a pretty young age and had a real wild teenage years, but also in the sense that I didn't have the normal constraints that most teenagers do on their comings and goings and all of that. But at the same time, I had to develop responsibi- a sense of responsibility really fast because I was taking care of myself and had to pay rent and get food and all You're those things. you growing up fast, yes. right, yeah. So, but I think that there was a wild side to that, that w- yes, so once I passed that 19, 20, you know, it certainly didn't kick in right away. I kind of got this sense of wow, I'm I'm here. Maybe I better do something to take care of myself. Okay. And and not just bleed this crazy life going to raves and right. You know, maybe I should focus on my health more and sticking around.
0: How many times have we all reached crossroads like this? Maybe they aren't as dire as the one that Attilio is facing. But, you know, you get to a place and you know the right decision to make and the thing that would be good for you to do, and yet you lack the gumption or the wherewithal to actually follow through with it. But what makes Attilio different is that rather than analyze the need to do something, he made a swift decision to change course, and he took action. And that's a theme you're going to see repeated throughout the story.
1: You know, the story could certainly sound romanticized, Mm -hmm. um, and it loses maybe the difficulties that were involved and the imperfection, because it can be so easily romanticized. But the reality is, I said that, and then I did it. Mm -hmm. And I, I became very focused on it, Mm -hmm. and started working out intensely, monitoring my nutrition, learning what I could about nutrition from what I ate to supplements, and really lived that life and found that it made me much healthier and stronger than doctors at the time predicted could be achieved through healthful exercise, diet, and supplements, that type of a holistic approach outside of medicine.
0: Uh, what kind of sort of uh, practices did you put in place for yourself uh, when it comes to, when you say holistic medicine? Sure. What is it you come I into? mean,
1: uh, really, it literally started out with, and I, you know, I haven't thought about this for a little while, but um, I was not in great shape at the time. And so I started walking my square block. Hmm. And I would, you know, try to jog one leg eventually.
0: Of that block. Of that block. Of that block. <laughs> one of the straightaways, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, And then
1: to jog two legs and then jog three legs. And they had a little workout room in the apartment complex that I lived in. And so started going into that workout room and trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That was probably the, the slow, you know, part. Kind of got myself built up a little bit there. Um... Through those workouts before I went and got a trainer, hmm. and I can remember this is at a place called La Workout. Like of all the damn names, right? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. And do you remember um, what was it called? Uh, American Gladiators, like the original yeah. incarnation? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And they had like the characters like Blaze. And, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. So
1: they worked out there.
0: No way. Yes,
1: because it's in LA, so of course <laughs> that just happens so, uh, everywhere. Yeah. I just like have this very weird memory. I always remember going up to the like weights where you like curl your weights, like you do your curls, and I had like the twelve pound weight, and I'm like, oh, struggling with twelve pound weight, and that woman, like I know it was Blaze, whatever her name was, Laser or something, right? Like giant tan, much taller than me anyway, and like (laughs) blonde hair, like flowing mane. Like walks up and like I don't even know what she waits. She picked up she she picks up these giant weights and like standing right next to me, she's just uh, 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 like curling her weights. So I was like. Uh.
0: During Attilio's phase of building his physical strength, he was also working to engage himself intellectually and politically. He was working for Tom Hayden as a legislative aide. Hayden was a lion of the 60s and the radical left turned member of the California Senate. And you can imagine for a young Attilio at that time, since he had come to some understanding that he was indeed planning on living, that he wanted to have an impact on the world and that that impact could be maximized. And he saw that his role in working for Hayden was in alignment with that sort of goal. But by the early 90s, Attilio had already become disenchanted with the political world. The Hayden office was in LA during the 92 rebellion from the Rodney King verdict. Many of the changes that he felt he was working on making were not taking hold. He had visions of a more just and equitable world. And though he and a team of activists had worked hard, the changes they made felt superficial. So he started to toy with this notion of going into business for himself, as a personal trainer, opening his own gym. And since he had a natural affinity for the work and he felt like that work made an impact on people, this idea just started to germinate. And around that same time, he also met a woman and they fell in love. And a few months into the thing, she made a decision to finish her degree at Indiana University, a world away from Los Angeles. So Attilio was at a crossroads. He could stay in California and continue his work with the state Senate or he could completely uproot his West Coast life for a new start in Bloomington, Indiana, the home of Johnny Cougar, and begin a sort of entrepreneurial fitness journey.
1: What I found was on a personal level, the things that attracted me to politics Politics, and acting in the first place.
0: Really? So what, what were those things? building
1: community Mm -hmm. and having a personal connection with someone that can be a positive impact on their life. Hmm. And as any personal trainer will probably tell you, you can become very intimately involved with your clients in terms of a strong um, relationship, like strong personal relationship you will both often end up caring a lot about each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And so for me, learning about people's lives and helping them to pursue a path to their own personal improvement uh, through physical activity, I found that to be very meaningful. It was a very direct connection to helping people to improve their lives.
0: Atilio arrives in Bloomington, Indiana, and almost right away, He sets up his personal training business he's seeing clients right and left and he's beginning to have the kind of impact that he was hoping to have from his political days and it's actually through a fluke occurrence that he and the aerobics instructor at the gym have an opportunity to purchase that gym and its equipment from the original owner they use that as a chance to start their own space and evolution fitness is born in late 1996. and it was then that Attilio met a person connected to the fitness world with a very different business model. And being a keen observer of systems that he is, Atilio begins to apply what he sees in retail to his own aspirations.
1: I met a guy and became <laughs> friends with a guy who had a women's apparel retail store, like a little boutique. Okay. And really just through talking about him, I started to understand, talking with him, the concepts of retail, right? Like okay. he would buy things wholesale, sell them retail and, you know, that whole thing, seeing somebody like that's, you know, I often think of mentorships, right? Mm -hmm. I think mentorships can be so important because just somebody seeing how something's done, like those mechanisms can help them connect the dots to then go do it. Where all where the gap was? What's the architecture of how this world or life works?
0: You just needed to see the machinery.
1: Yeah, and then you can reverse engineer that or engineer that in your own way. Right. But it's hard to take that leap without seeing it. It's
0: like you play life by ear, is because you're like watching the thing being orchestrated, done, and then you're like, oh, I can play that. Okay.
1: I think it's so a great way of putting it. Okay. Absolutely. So, I, but if in this case, initially, it was just for me. I was like, oh, I could order my supplements for myself and pay a lot less. And awesome. that's it. Right. Because <laughs> I own a business now.
0: Woo! <laughs> you know,
1: like, so I'll call them up and be like, hey, I own a business. Hi. Send I'm... me my supplements for less.
0: Oh, I see. So you're just like, okay. <laughs> so, so you just spin up uh, a business so that you can call up and buy things wholesale. Right. At a, at a reduced rate. Right. So that you can get the things that you're wanting for your own needs, for taking care of your body, for being the trainer you want to be, all that stuff. Yes. Interesting.
1: <laughs> and so then okay. I was so calling the like, wholesale warehouse. Right. Having my supplements shipped to me. Yeah. Seeing, Getting the wholesale catalog with all the prices, knowing what the prices were at the GNC. Yeah. And I literally said, you know, I don't know, I'm not doing anything at night and- <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to lose I wonder if I put out a flyer and said I mean I, this is, I just made up the flyer you're and still said, so punk rock tear what up if your, I make up a flyer <laughs> <Tell> <laughs> Sorry. with, with yeah. the little tabs on the bottom you, yeah. know, you, like <laughs> like slice, you slice it with the phone numbers right. yep. oh yeah it had the sliced up phone numbers oh yeah <laughs> and uh, said tear up your GNC gold card Nice. I sell for less every day
0: Good copywriting. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean,
1: <laughs> it worked. So um, I take those flyers really bright. Like remember, we could go to Kinko's and get like the rocket neon. ship yellow or whatever yeah, it was yeah, called. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I took those and just put them all over the dorms, the workout spaces, and the fraternities at IU. And the guys started calling me because I did things like, you know, whatever at the time EAS was a big deal. And whatever, like a box of Myoplex was a hundred dollars, but I could buy it wholesale for forty-two dollars if I bought like fifteen. So I'm like, well, if I can get it for forty-two, I'll sell it to them for fifty-nine ninety-nine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why would they go to GNC? Well, right. they wouldn't. Right. I mean, at least right, they didn't. <laughs> Supply
0: <laughs> demand works here, right? right. Yeah. And I it have no do. overhead
1: except my gym, which I've already got, and I don't have any employees and. It's another, you know, Just, 20 bucks in my pocket.
0: You're managing inventory. Right. You're, right. Okay.
1: So literally people started calling me, placing orders. What can, what can you charge for creatine? This, that, this, that.
0: You're a legal drug dealer.
1: Legal drug dealer. <laughs> and I would get all this stuff in. I would load up my car and I would drive around to them. I'd give them their supplements. There was no like literally square credit card processing. Trunk of your car, cash. Trunk of my car, give me cash. Here's your supplements.
0: So, since the network of fraternities and people who would take supplements is so small, of course it's only a period of time before some of those bros who were buying out of the trunk of his car started showing up at the gym. And So Atilio set up a special counter and a closet for managing the inventory. People would come in, I want my supplements, he would walk over there, go into the closet, get him their supplements, easy enough.
1: Once it's doing well and I think, well, you know, I think there's potential here and I start to do analyze it more and say, well, I could, you know, have a retail store. I could actually get a storefront and I think these numbers work where I'm doing enough volume. If I keep up this volume, I can make a storefront work if it's a no frills storefront. Okay. But Bloomington's not big enough for that.
0: On the search for the right location for his retail vision, Attilio spends his weekends in his car driving around a whole host of Midwestern cities. Cincinnati, Louisville, Des Moines, Kansas City. And what precisely he's looking for, he doesn't really know. But he does believe that he'll know it when he sees it. St. Louis
1: reminded me of a combination of Chicago and LA. That's fair and
0: from architecture feel yeah personalities i mean across different
1: across that board together you know it was just it just something about it um there was a little bit of a western sense to it Mm -hmm. um and you know maybe that's the western southern i don't know exactly that mark twain right thing going in there mark twain was uh, Hannibal mm-hmm. and San Francisco mm-hmm. so makes sense there's these connections okay um, and then Chicago and the, you know, the city of big shoulders and the brick and the sturdy and the you know 19th century uh, buildings warehouses and neighborhoods right and and for somebody from LA in Chicago or anytime I ever experienced that that was very romantic to me anyway because mm-hmm. There's n- there's no trees in Los Angeles, and oh. it's just chaparral, and everything right. is stucco. Right. So bricks right. and trees and corn, is going to be very romantic.
0: Right. The depth of the colors, the green, the right. right the yeah. I get you.
1: I related to the outsiders, mm-hmm. so I thought I was like in an S.E. Hutton novel when I moved to the Midwest.
0: <laughs> Stay gold. Right. Stay right. <laughs> gotcha. So,
1: Interesting. So... Um, you know, it was just kind of like that thing attracted me, but okay. it's specifically St. Louis did it for me. Okay. And what I, I found, because again, you you couldn't Google at the time, right? So how do you find a business to rent? How do you find a space to rent for your business back then? I can't even really remember what the options were. <laughs> you
0: like rolled around or you like looked at some, I guess, commercial property papers. They probably had some rags for that. Maybe not. I don't I know. I went
1: to a real estate office. Yeah, Sure. And the guy like drove me around and he's talking about traffic on the street every day and the number of people that live in a one, five, and 20 mile radius. And, and I'm you're like,
0: nodding along like you know what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And I, but, I, and, but I did, you know, I was not a total bumpkin. Like, right. I did have some ideas I look back on now and I'm like, well, that's pretty smart. Right. Like, I was like down Manchester Road and I said, here's a GNC, here's a Bally's. Here's a Gold's Gym. Obviously. Here's another GNC. There's a
0: market for this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, this might be a really this might good, be a good spot. spot. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was the spot that I took.
0: So, with his shop's location established, Attilio just needed to find a steady stream of muscle building clientele to flock to him. And because he was new to the market, and the market of St. Louis is bigger than Indiana University's campus. He had to find a way to expand his reach that he could still afford. So he started calling around to local radio stations.
1: I don't know why I thought I should do this, or <laughs> what the fuck I was thinking, but I thought that I should voice the ads, because that would be that personal connection, Sure. but that I should imitate Arnold Schwarzenegger Wait, as who? the tagline. Wait. <laughs> no, nope, no, I really did. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's getting a lot of laughs around the studio. So so okay, so
1: Tell the GNC Gold Card we sell for less every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's pretty great. The simple gimmicky marketing strategy, it totally worked. His passion for supplements fueled an expansion that most entrepreneurs would be jealous of. And in just a few years, Atilio's supplements expanded to over 13 locations throughout the St. Louis region. The Midwestern suburban folks loved the straightforward, no-frill stores. And because his name was on the stores and his voice was on the commercials, Attilio himself had gained some notoriety. But Atilio, once again, found himself at a crossroads. He felt the weight of managing a company of this size had created a distance between him and his customers. And just like when he was back in California working for Tom Hayden, this feeling of not being able to have an impact on the lives of people was completely objectionable to him.
1: I loved supplements. I loved all of that. When I had a personal connection with people, when I was at the counter, when I was talking to people, working with them, getting them their supplements. Right. When I had 13 stores and I was the manager of 13 stores, I didn't love that life at all.
0: What were intimate customer experiences at supplement stores packed with the promise of life transformations had become the managing of spreadsheets and HR policies. This thing that started with wonderful intentions for Atilio had become a drag. And I wanna pause here because I think it's an important theme that emerges with each of these crossroads for Atilio. As he goes on his journey, their principles, he is just unwilling to compromise. And I bring this up because I think a lot of us have had these intuitions or ideas. But either because of our biases or sunk cost fallacies, we have lacked the courage to change course. So remember that. More to come on that later. And around this time, Attilio had begun to feel less fulfilled, a new opportunity started to emerge. Because Most of the people who were taking supplements had weight loss or muscle-gaining goals. They had a need for more information, recipes, diet plans, workout regimes. So a newsletter, or something that could be distributed through stores, would at least help him to feel closer to reaching his audience. At the same time, Elizabeth Tucker, fresh out of high school, was hired to work in the back office of Atelio's discount supplement stores and she started to show a great capability in managing strategy and people. And Kelly Hamilton, another new hire, had shown an aptitude for writing, communications. So between the three of them, Attilio, Elizabeth, Kelly, they started to get serious about an editorial style and a direction for this newsletter. And this newsletter that just started, a free zine on the racks in the front of a discount supplement store became a live magazine. The publication that is today, a lifestyle media company highlighting artists, and creatives all across the Midwest.
1: While we were still running the stores, we distributed it through the stores, mm-hmm. but then also, and I don't even remember where this came from, but maybe it might've just been seeing it out, other publications out the community like, and thinking- In racks. Right, right. If we put it out there, then it becomes also an advertising tool for us to bring people into the store, right, and it also, but through that distribution, we could sell ads to support the the publication right. beyond just it bringing us business. Mm-hmm. Um. Then, when we sold off the stores, we kept the publication.
0: The letting go of the stores was the most casual of mentions. I mean, could you even imagine that? Like you spend years building something, something that has your name on it, something that has your voice promoting it in an industry you care about. And at its peak performance, when you have expanded into new markets and ideas, you just let it go. And why? Because it is fundamentally unsatisfying. Because it no longer serves the depth of the experience you wanted. So you jettison the thing. And for what? A media company I mean didn't someone tell Attilio that print is dead didn't someone work to reason with him on creating a size of market potential or at least a business canvas there was none of that Attilio has lived and continues to live by a very simple principle and it's why the story is not romantic it's not a carpe diem bumper sticker it is however what is possible if you understand that today could be your last day.
1: If you realize that every day is a precious gift, you don't want to waste that day doing what is not, you right. don't love and what's not meaningful to you. Right.
0: Why would you? Right. Right. It doesn't
1: matter if somebody's paying you for it because what is $100,000? What is a million dollars? What is $10 million? What is a billion dollars if you only have a day? Right. And it, or if all the, if what means most to you is the day mm-hmm. and not the dollar.
0: As Alive evolved, so did the areas on which the magazine would focus. The expansion of what was a newsletter for supplement shoppers began to take on a life and breadth that reflected the areas you always held dear about what makes a community.
1: As our business grew to become more dependent upon, advertising in the lifestyle space, it aligned with what my personal interests had always been. So going back to those teenage years, my personal interests had always been in modern design, fashion, architecture, furniture, Mm -hmm. and uh, publication design, visual communication, photography never in the sense of um, oh I want to be a photographer or I'm studying images as I love photography I love to look at photos because I love photography but it was in terms of I love design Mm -hmm. and receiving that was through images Mm -hmm. I love fashion getting that was through images I loved architecture modernist movements and receiving that was through visual mediums. So I was very, my my personal life had always revolved around visual communication in that way.
0: Several years into Alive's existence, the publication began to carve a niche. It had a following, a real readership. And it was around this time that Attilio helped together gather a team from inside and from outside the publication that would launch the St. Louis Fashion Week, something that's still going strong to this day. And he became dedicated to raising the visibility of the creative class in what is generally perceived as an average Midwestern city. And since he'd become creative director for the publication, he would often go on the feature photo shoots. and Attilio would act as an assistant and would pay close attention to the mechanics involved in capturing images. But even paying close attention couldn't have prepared him for what happened on what was supposed to be a casual photo session.
1: I ended up shooting an editorial that wasn't planned for me to shoot. Mm. And it was a fashion story. Oh, wow. And- um,
0: So we were just, we booked a photographer, can't work out, Yeah, things gonna be due. Yes. Here's your camera.
1: So (laughs) uh, we had a hair and makeup artist, Bob Pitts, who had Mm -hmm. Studio 703 Salon here, who he was a photographer and had had a career as a, a fashion photographer and he would always bring his cameras to the sets and take behind the scene pictures, just play around because he loved taking pictures. Mm -hmm. So I said, Bob, can you give me your camera and show me how to make everything lighter and darker? And (laughs) (laughs) he gave me a down and dirty tutorial in the knobs and dials. And I knew I already had the story built working with Our stylist in fashion under Jill Manoff. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We'd already chosen all the outfits. We knew what our story was. I knew what all our scenes were. So I knew what the frame was for the image. We had our model. We knew what our makeup plan was. So for me, thinking about it then that time and place, I already knew what my frame was. I just had to get there and make sure that you could see the light and the camera worked and operated and captured that frame, that image that I wanted to see. And that story was successful. Hmm. And the people who were around that model and and they are still significant in, in the world of St. Louis, Jeff and Mary Clark at Mother Model, mm-hmm. gave me the opportunity from that to work with their models, shooting model tests.
0: So what started as a passing sort of appreciation for photography, almost overnight turned into a new pursuit for Attilio. And today, if you Google his name, you will be flooded with images of high fashion photo shoots. And that's because it took Attilio just a matter of hours to unpack and learn what it takes most people to develop after a number of years. I mean, today he is a legit fashion photographer. Again, most people I know, even really accomplished people, would want to ensure that they had the proper rigor and understanding before attempting such a pursuit, right? So they would want to make sure that they had studied political science before getting into politics and, and studied business before you know, founding a company or studied art before becoming a photographer. But the need for crossing those kinds of chasms is just not a thing for Attilio. I mean, to review, he has gone from skater punk dropout to political activist to personal trainer, supplement slinger, business owner, and then publication founder, and now to fashion photographer. And nowhere in there did you hear anything about, I have no business doing this.
1: It's like, I am definitely fearless. Like, Let's just analyze it. Like, that I will do. I don't think of it as reinventing myself. I do what I want to do, and I don't worry about what I think of as artificial rules that people create for themselves. And that was the same thing going back to when I was 14 and said, what is this rule? Like, oh, I have to go to high school, and then I have to do this, and I have to do that. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to be on this planet, but I can do whatever I want to do. And... It's no different now. Like if this is what I want to do, <clears throat> excuse me, and I want to pursue that and, and I have the passion to do it and the kind of like the ability to a certain extent or the willingness to learn, then because somebody else's rule saying you can't be a photographer because you didn't go to art school and because you sold supplements, like those rules, I don't know what that means. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right. Like, I do not know what that means. There is a fuck you right. to your kind of. Okay. Right? I mean, is that
0: kind of what you're saying? Like, it's kind of like a I don't have any need for that. That's irrelevant it's, to me.
1: And I think it is fundamentally for everybody. I think it's, I think all, so many of those rules are artificial constructs that people have created for themselves. And so to me, it's not reinvention because I'm not reinventing anything. I'm just continuing to do what it is that I want to do.
0: Do you think that kind of approach that you've taken to your professional life, to creatively who you are, is something that's available to all people, or do you think that that's something that you are more somehow capable of doing than maybe other people are in terms of being this willing to be fearless and go out and and do the thing that drives you?
1: I think that I recognize that in my life I've had certain advantages and privileges that have allowed me to do that. So the family that I come from is I was raised by two really smart scientists and they exposed me to a lot of cultural richness. They exposed me to a lot of modeling of how to be educated They taught me to read at a really young age and built my world around reading things of real quality and engaging with the world in a really deep way. And I don't think that I can disconnect those benefits and assets that I came into my 14-year-old self with, my 20-year-old self, and my 30-year-old self, and on and on. From everything. And so coming from that place of privilege built a foundation for me to achieve these things. I had Mm -hmm. these assets already. Mm -hmm. I understood what modern design was. I knew how to go to a library and where to look. What can we do Mm. as a society to make sure that everybody in our community has those same advantages. Because what that also fundamentally means is it's an accident of birth.
0: Right, I Right. what you mean.
1: And so I shouldn't be able to benefit just because I was accidentally born, born into these assets or somebody else is able to benefit because they're born into maybe a financial asset or whatever it is, whether it's an intellectual asset or a financial asset, certainly had a head start in the birth. Right. And then how does that work for other people that didn't have financial or intellectual head start in terms
0: of they didn't have the birth. privileges that you had right didn't right. right
1: weren't set into the world with those assets
0: if you think that you were able to achieve your next thing that you want to achieve let's say over the over the period of the next few years and being sensitive to the fact that you you know that I know that you live every day as though it could be like hey there there could something could happen which I know oddly is the truth for everyone, but for you right. especially, right? It's like part of your consciousness. But like, if you were able to achieve it, achieve what you're hoping to do over a period of years, how do you think, what do you think would be different about the world if you were able to communicate what you really wanted to communicate? What do you think the world would be like? How do you think it would be changed?
1: Well, how do you hope it I, would be I, changed? I, I saw answer that in just a slightly different way, which is. Sure. <clears throat> I don't think that there's any one thing that I can do that's going to change it in that way. Sure. But I think that I really can contribute I do the actions that I choose and the choices that I make and the world that I contribute to building to having a more equitable world around me and leaving a more equitable world behind Um so that is, is what I say was important to me, and I don't think that I can do that on my own, but I think that I can make meaningful contributions along with other people.
0: If he's lucky, tomorrow morning, Attilio will wake, and he's going to cough. The stark reminder of a disease that could take his life won't be felt through some abstraction. It will be felt with pain. The pain will start in his lungs, and eventually it'll feel like battery acid burning through his back and ab muscles. And maybe, tomorrow morning, the whole panoply of human responses will cycle through his mind. Perhaps he will drift into the nihilism of his youth, and could you blame him? Who among us would not find existence pointless if it means so much pain? Maybe he will relive the images of the uprising in Los Angeles after the Rodney King verdict, and he will think of the heartbreak at not being able to do more to prevent such violence. And maybe this will trigger some regret in not sticking with politics. Maybe, as he fights for air in his daily morning ritual, he will think of the company he could have built or the money he could have made if he hadn't sold off the supplement business. And somewhere, In the recesses of his mind, the voices of the people who told him what he could have done and how foolish he was. Maybe, just for a moment, maybe, he thinks they're right. Actually, never mind all that. There's no way that's on his mind. I know this because he cannot waste a moment on regret or self-loathing. And on this, there is no maybe. I do not have to speculate. Atilio will undoubtedly be thinking of what he must do. He will be thinking of the part he must play in the hours that remain in creating a more equitable world. Tomorrow morning, when he's finally able to catch his breath, he will be filled with a sense of conviction that only the dying can be. That much I know for sure. What I don't know is what you will be like tomorrow morning, when you are awakened with the glowing phone in the dark. What will you do? Now that you've heard this story, what will you do? Will you embrace the odd paradox of this human existence, knowing that you too are among the dying and that there's only today, and at the same time that our conviction only matters if we're able to have hope of futures that don't yet exist? What will tomorrow morning be for you? And what will you make of the hours alongside your fellow dying earthly travelers? This has been More Human, a production of the Be Human Project, editing and sound design by Khalees Walker, with art direction by Steph Sabo. It's written and hosted by me. Our intro music is provided by Snarky Puppy. Additional music by A.A. Alto, Broke for Free, and Raphael Archangel. But we record and produce this thing at our studio at Big White Sky, a human business consultancy. To subscribe to More Human, Search for More Human anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. And to learn more about the Be Human Project, or if you dig anything you heard today, check out our website at behumanproject.org. And visit often. We love humans.